This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. Recorded live at Toadstool Bookstore in Keene, New Hampshire, it's the Fedora Chronicles radio show number 90. This time I, Eric Render King Fisk, talk with authors Matt Boris Essenwine and Jesse Hass about writing, perseverance, inspiration, and the power of creating art while working under a deadline. This is all coming up next on the Fedora Chronicles radio show number 90. Stay tuned. Excellent. I love that. So anyway, um, once again, I am Eric Fisk from the Fedora Chronicles radio show, and I am here with my two new best friends. I got um, uh, Matt Forrest Eswine, is that right? Eswine. Eswine. And um, Jesse Haas. 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 So See, two this, A's. This, yep. is, <laughs> this is, Eric, this is why we show up for rehearsal. And but two, we're his best friends, Jesse. You are, new, you are my new <laughs> best that friends. Too. That's how new we are. Yeah. You are my new best friends. Thanks and, for having us here, Fred. Yes. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> See, that's what you get. So, the, so um, once a month, or uh, uh, once or twice a month, I like to come over to Toadstool bo- uh, Bookstores, and they have um, author interviews, and you meet the most amazing people here. And now the two of you are established authors, and um, Jess, let's uh, let's let's start with you, and let's talk about you and your books, and what kind of books uh, uh, do you write, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, I am um, I. Both of us are children's book authors, and I write uh, for kids of all ages. I've just published my 40th book for kids, and I sold the first one when I was a senior in college in 1981, so nobody needs to do the math on that one. Okay. Um, so, you know, so it kind of looks like a nice, steady, blip, blip, blip selling books, but n- not at all, really. Actually, I, I I was lucky to sell my first book. I mean, I did a a good job of it. But I had you know devoured horse books as a kid and mm-hmm. studied them, and wrote a good first one, and didn't really know quite what I'd done or how I'd done it. So I had a whole bunch of stuff to learn, and uh, you know spent about a decade learning that and you know selling a book here and there and and it kind of hit my stride around 1990 and sold a lot of books Mm -hmm. for a while Um, and at that time I was published by Green Willow Books um, a really wonderful uh, children's publisher that became an imprint of HarperCollins Um, and so that was a that was kind of like a golden time where I had you know one of the Susan Hirschman, who is one of the grand dame editors, and you know we had a very easy relationship. And Susan was like lightning as far as reading a book and getting back to an author. I mean, you sometimes it was a week for a novel. Sometimes I, the one time I sent her a picture book. And I didn't think I had to start worrying about it yet because mm-hmm. the mail wouldn't get it. You know, this was back in the day. The mail wouldn't get it get it there until three days later. Well, the mail got it there two days later, and she called me that afternoon and 
they bought it. So it was like this, I mean, it was, it, it was a fairy tale time. Right. I mean, even then, nobody was like that in publishing except for her. And um, she retired um, when she turned 70. And uh, that changed things for me quite a lot. I, I had a rapport with Susan, and then, and who was the editor in chief? But and then I worked with Rebecca Davis, who um, for with many of the books, you know, the kind of the the day to day, you know, the editing work. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca was uh, was let go after Susan left, and uh, then I was kind of let go. You know, I I um I didn't really f- fit as well with the new uh, um, the new folks. And so it was a, then I like went through a time of, um, I, I sold a, I, I wrote a book, and this is about 11 years ago, and I submitted it to Candlewick. And they turned it down, and they said, but, you know, we got, you know, the, the editor that turned it down um, was Hillary Van Dusen, and she said, well, I take my kids to the library all the time, and your books are always checked out, and would you like to write an easy reader series for us of mm-hmm. horse books? And I did not know if I could do that, but I said yes anyway. Isn't that how it is? Isn't that how life is? You get asked the question, you say yes. You say yes. yes. And because it was Candlewick, who I, they're a really wonderful publisher, I'd wanted to work with them for a long time. So I said yes, and turned out I could. And there were four, you know, I did a series of four with them. Uh, But what, so that period of my life was basically people asking me to write books and that was great you know I this historical society asked me to write a town history which turned into two books and it was a very absorbing adult manuscript Um, American Girl asked me to write a series for them um, their girl of the year series for 2013 and that was a fantastic experience that was the best gig in children's books at that time and you know the experience of of being part of a like a book selling machine right, was yeah. absolutely fabulous and then um but i i kept working on on novels that i didn't manage to sell you know like things that you think up by yourself and you send out there in the world working with my agent and the the, the original book uh that i had you know, submitted to Candlewick. I my agent continued to submit, and we revised it, and and we submitted it, and it made many editors in their rejection letters. They would talk about how they cried at their desk reading it, but you know they'd cry, but they wouldn't buy. <laughs> and, and if you if you cry, you have to buy. That's what I would like to print right on the. But so. Uh, just recently, I'm working on a novel, and I realized I, I sold Rescue is my new book that just came out with Boyd's Mills, and I it was a reunion with Rebecca Davis, um, yeah. who was then acquiring at Boyd's Mills, and it was you know just wonderful, wonderful editor to work with, so you know, very smart and sensitive, and I think you know it's very good at getting into the heart of what it is that you that you want to be doing with your book and sometimes 
I think what it is you should want to be doing right, with your right, book that yeah. you hadn't quite figured out yet. So that came out, and I'm working on a new novel, and I'm thinking, I, it's going to be a long time before this book is ready. And I went back and looked at this um, story, this pony story called Princess, and I'm like, I, yeah, I think I, it needs like one more crunch, but I think I could get that done more quickly. And I sent it to Rebecca, and literally the day before yesterday, uh, I had it accepted. That's by, awesome. Which is, yeah, it's the longest I've ever persisted. It's been, you know, literally 10 or 11 years. But isn't that, isn't that the lesson, though? Isn't that it's like all about persistence? If you're going to sell a book, you have to be persistent. A lot, yes, it is. And, I have to, and I've never persisted that much before. <laughs> it's a, you know, in spite of having done 40 books, and I, and I run an SCBWI critique group, and I tell people all the time that you have to, but when it's me, I just kind of go, oh, it must not be any good. Right. <laughs> and tend not to send it back out again. So uh, it, it's a good experience for me to have to actually, you know, get to the end of that story. Just keep plowing through it. Right. And the, what the other thing I would say, it, you know, many of the editors who turned it down really did love it. They really did yeah. cry. But what the difference with Rebecca, we've worked together on a lot of books. And so she knows I can revise a book. Sure. She thought it, she thinks it needs work. The, the things that she said about what it needs I th are things that bothered me all along and that I I sort of thought I'd gotten right, but I hadn't yeah. really yet. So, so I knew that we were on the same page with it. But the, um, you know, there's, there's a kind of commitment with somebody that's like your editor, and that's the, you know, the feeling that Rebecca and I have is like I'm her author and she's my editor and yeah. so there's like it's it's a very it's a very different thing and I, I I really feel editors are always they're always I mean I've I've seen editors at work rejecting manuscripts when I you know back in the day when it was paper I I sat with an editor at Greenwell and I watched her go through this slush pile and it really was pick it up open it read the first page while reaching for the printed rejection form. I mean, it was all like, you know, I mean, it, it's, you're, they're looking, it's a huge pile. They're looking for the, a, you know, a reason to flick it off their desk. In the first page. In, in the first page. In the first page. Absolutely. And it seems, it seems really unfair to authors. And then when, and I, I hate it. Right. And yet, when I'm in that same position, when I have zone, right? a lot of, you know, when I have, like, you know, I work with kids, when I have kids' manuscripts to read, and they're awful, I just, like, I want to, like, I want to throw them away. I, do, right, I don't right. want to do my job of helping them. I want, I was like, ah, no, I, I'll do anything else but do that. So I, I get, I get where they're coming from. But so, yeah, it, um, you really need almost that that connection of somebody who really gets your work and gets you and knows that you can, you know, that, that you can talk to each other 
and, yeah. and produce something out of the story. And, and I know editors who don't even read the cover letter first. Yeah, they'll, they, they, they pick up, they'll read the manuscript, and they won't even read the cover letter. I know, and we agonize about those <laughs> cover letters. And the, yeah, the best of them are like, they don't want to know what, what we are sweating bullets trying to say to them, which is really just, oh, please, just please, the, please, yeah, yeah. <laughs> send the check. But they want to see what the actual story is, so yeah. they're right to do that, but yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about you, you Matt, and yes. how, how did you get involved in writing? And, and, and tell us about your other career, because you have a very familiar voice for people who live in, in, this, in this area. Well, I, uh, you introduced us as, as being established writers. She is far more established than I am. Uh, Jesse's been doing this uh, since college. I, I, I've been writing forever. Uh, my first published poem was actually when I was in high school. I, I got published at a uh, the New England College uh, over in Henniker had a literary magazine. I sent in a poem and they got, it got published. And I thought that was kind of cool. And so that sort of set me on my, my path of writing poetry and, and getting published. But when you're in, in high school and you're trying to figure out what to do for the rest of your life and you, you take these career tests and the guidance counselor is trying to help you out, no one ever tells you. They tell you all 12 years of school to, to read and write, and write and read and read and write. Nobody ever tells you you can actually do that for a living. <laughs> Seriously, nobody ever told me, well, you can write for a living. Mm. It, it, it's not easy and, and you still have to have a full-time job while right. you're while you're ramping yourself up. You you can't just start off from scratch and, and be making millions of dollars and, and and making a living at it. But it it is possible to have a career as a writer. Nobody ever said that. So I spent my uh, my formative years, you know, writing primarily adult poetry. Uh, I say adult meaning uh, things that are are more attuned with with what. The grown-ups are going to be looking like. I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't writing children's poetry. I was writing right. things about love and death and heartache and what. You talk. You talk about grown-up things. We're not talking about right. dear penthouse. Right. Right. Adult, adult poetry is not the the, the mm. brown chicken brown cow kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, so so I spent 25 years in radio, and I was uh, on a number of radio stations uh, here in New Hampshire. I, I spent a number of years, about 10 or 11 years up in the Burlington, Vermont market, yeah. Burlington, St. Albans area. And I was on air, but I also uh, oversaw all the commercial production. And I was writing commercials, I was voicing commercials, producing multi-track, all the sound effects and the music and, and all right. of that. Yep. And, um, and it, it finally occurred to me in 2012, uh, I, I, I had been, Around 2009 or so, 2009, 2010, I realized I had some children's poetry that I didn't quite know what to do with. And so 2012, I decided I needed to make a decision. We, were, we had a two and a half year old son. I, I had a couple of older daughters from my first marriage, but I got remarried. We had a two and a half year old son and I was spending $400 a month in commuting gas just, just commuting, right? Not even yeah. weekend drive. Just commuting, um, four hundred dollars a month for commuting, and then six fifty a month for daycare. Just those two expenses was one take home pay. That was net pay. One you don't you don't make money in radio. Like right. people think you're in radio, oh, you're making tons of money. You don't. Yeah. So ten fifty was an entire check for me. Um, we knew we had another one coming along, and babies are more expensive than toddlers, and so she was going to be about nine fifty. So my I told my wife, I said. This is nuts. Everything I'm making is going to daycare and gas. I mean, I'm, I'm netting like $100 a month. 
Right. This is yeah. insanity. It is. So we realized, we crunched the numbers, and I realized that if I stayed at home, I could be a stay-at-home dad to the kids. I, I, have, I do voice work, so I, I voice commercials, I produce commercials for uh, some, some local clients, but also um, uh, down in Baltimore. I have there's an agency down in Baltimore. I do a lot of car commercials and um, just around the country, just doing different audiobooks and whatever. So we realized that if, if I stayed at home, I could develop my children's writing, do that, and if I made a minimum of 500 a month, we broke even. Yeah, yeah. So I said, well, yeah. who wouldn't do that? Yeah, so exactly. 2012 was when I, I left the station to be a stay-at-home dad, and, and, and I would never advise someone, oh, if you want to be a children's writer, just quit your job and become a children's writer. I'm, I'm not paying the bills with, with what I'm doing. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm making a little bit of a dent, but my wife is the primary breadwinner. She, she has to be yeah. uh, because I'm, I'm staying at home. I'm taking care of, of a, a kid who's just starting kindergarten this fall. My, my, uh, my eight-year-old is going to be starting third grade. So it's, it's very much a, even though it's a professional career, it is by no means a, a form of, of um, solid income that I can count on, that I can provide for my family. So uh, 2012 was when I, I, I left radio to devote to this, and I've, I feel like I've made a significant amount of headway in six years. Yeah. I have, if you count up the poems, the children's poems that I've had published either in online journals like uh, the Young Adult Review Network, yep. they published uh, a number of poems that I've written. One of them that was selected as, uh, they submitted it as a uh, for a pushcart prize, which did win, but just just being nominated for pushcart prize, just being in, pretty, just being in the show, yeah, that a, that was a a, that was really a, a highlight of my career. But if you if you add up all the poems that I've had there, um, children's anthologies like uh, National Geographic Book of Nature Poetry, there's another one coming out this September called The Poetry of Us, um, Highlights Magazine. If you add up all those, I've had almost thirty children's poems published, and two full-length children's books traditionally published. In other words, the, the publisher yeah. pays you in advance and they, they publish the book. And there's a third one, hopefully will be coming out in 2020 or 2021. Um, so you are established. Yeah, I am established, just not, I mean, I don't have 40 books to my name, but, okay. I, I, but, but again, in six years, Having almost thirty children's poems published, and, and you get paid for these, like you know, adult poetry in a, in like a literary journal or something like that. They they give you a pat on the back, a hearty attaboy, and a copy of the book, and that's right. all you get. This this is a career, and you were you were paid National National Geographic Society paid me yeah for a poem. And having spent years in radio, I have met all kinds of famous people. I've I, I bumped into Billy Ray Cyrus one time when I was at a, at a quick sack. I was living right. down in Nashville at the time. I hung out on Def Leppard's bus. I've interviewed Alice Cooper. I took him to the movies. I, I've met all kinds of people, and and we're all we're all human. It doesn't it doesn't really mean a whole lot the celebrity part of it. You know, I, I appreciate their talent, but I don't get starstruck. But I'll tell you, cashing a check from the National Geographic <laughs> Society—that was really cool. That is cool. That was really cool. But and here's how your life has turned full circle: you started in radio, you quit radio to write poems and children's books, and now you're on a podcast mm. called the Fedora Chronicles yeah. Radio right, so, Show. So it's the cycle of I life. Know, and I, I should be putting on my radio voice. Um, <laughs> you, but you, you can if you I want. I do have to but. say, though, Rebecca uh, Davis, uh, Jesse's uh, editor for a number of these books, she plays a, a crucial role in my story as well. Uh, let's hear it. So 
Uh, and uh, and Jesse said how she's a she has this critique group with the SEBWI. This is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and it's a worldwide organization that I always encourage people to to join if they're trying to think about what they can do to get a foothold in in children's lit. You don't have to be a member to to make a career out of it, but it's a huge help. Uh, it was started by a woman named Lynn Oliver out in California back in the 60s, I believe. And one of her good friends was Jane Yolen, who has more books published than there are days in the year. I think she's up to 374, 376, mm, something like that. Something like that. That's yeah. the number of books Jane has had published. So, um, so Jane loved the idea of this group of people who are like-minded individuals who are trying to learn from each other and, and kind of get together. So Jane started up the first quote-unquote chapter of the SCBW. They didn't add the I for illustrators till later. Sure. But she started it up when she got back here um, to New England. She lives down in Springfield. And so I tell people that I, am a, I owe my entire career to lunch because I met Lynn and uh, one of my neighbors, uh, Tommy DePaula, who's about 20 minutes north of me here in New Hampshire. I met them both down in Fitchburg at, a, uh, at an SCBWI conference, the first one I ever attended. Yeah. And... And so Lynn told me about this fellow named Lee Bennett Hopkins. She said, if you write poetry, Lee is the guy you need to get in touch with. I was still new to this. I was green. I had no idea who Lee was. I said, okay, great. So I, I checked him out. He actually is in the Guinness Book of World Records for the number of children's poetry anthologies he has compiled. At the time, it was about 119. I think he's up to 126 or one. 27 now that's great he uh he's just a wonderful mentor and supporter and he he ended up loving some of the the poetry i was writing and said he would do what he could to try to help support me and push my career along so when i was going to submit a uh, a poetry anthology to boyd's mills press uh, this was uh, maybe 2010, maybe 2011. He said, "Oh, uh, Rebecca Davis just took over as the editor there, and she's the best children's poetry editor in the country, bar none. You know, if you'd like, I can let her know that you're going to be sending something to her." It's great. I mean, I, I could wallow in obscurity, but but no, sure, by all means, yeah. let her know I'm sending it. So uh, so I sent it to her. Um, she she liked the writing. She didn't think the collection needed was was gelling enough as far as a theme because all, all the you don't get Shel Silverstein kind of collections anymore. Everything has to be very thematic. Uh, there has to be some sort of a theme to the poetry collection. So, but but she liked the writing, which you know, I was wiping the sweat off my brow because okay, well, I, at least I can write. Yeah, I got to put the. The, the context together, but at least you know she liked what I, I did, so she said you know, keep you know sending her her stuff and which I did, uh, sent her another collection which again she liked but she didn't think it was quite right for them. Um, it was a, a seasonal kind of thing and they had just done some seasonal collections. So, okay, so then I sent m- the manuscript for my debut picture book, Flashlight Night, and she picked it up as soon as she could. She loved it. She said everybody at the editorial meeting loved it. And uh, signed the contract in March of 2015, and then September of 2017 <laughs> finally came out because the wheels turned slow. Oh yeah, the picture books take a, such a long time yeah, because yeah. you know the the illustrator has, has to have all of the time that they need. To right. Well, the, and the illustrator for Flashlight Night, Fred Kaler, he 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 loved the the, the text. And he said it, it kind of reminded him of a lot of the classic books that he had read as a child. Yeah. And he, so he took a three-week trip to the UK 
before starting this to do research. He took photos and sketches of the countryside. He went to the museum there to do sketches of some of the Egyptian artifacts, um, went to the, the, the sea, seaside and uh, did a whole bunch of sketches of the ocean and the tall ships and all that. And, and then he brought all that back and he ended up using a number of these things that he saw and sketched and, and photographed in the book. So I told him, I said, you know, I did this all wrong. <laughs> I yeah. should have taken the trip to the UK and then written the book. Because that's a business expense. You know, <laughs> but I, that, that gets me to the question that I'm sure all of our listeners are dying to know. Tell us about the writing process. I know it's crazy, but some people seem to think that there's a magic incantation and a ritual that you perform before you can actually start writing a good book. Jesse, let's start with you. How, how do you start writing? I mean, where, where does the idea come from? And what's your writing process? Well, you know, the truth is where the ideas come from is it is actually mysterious. Sometimes it just feels like they they drop out of the sky. And uh, the author, Terry Pratchett, talks, he's, he's dead now. He used to talk about how they come sleeting down. And the trick is to, like, have your basket <laughs> ready. Um, there's an old New England saying that actually captures it as well. When it's raining porridge, hold out your bowl. So, <laughs> and, so, and they, you know, they, I, you know, they just, they sometimes they come out of nowhere. The Rescue, my newest book, which is a middle grade novel around animal rights and animal rescue themes, uh, that actually comes from a very specific place. And I was interested in the controversy about the carriage horses in New York City um, that are, you know, that when I go to New York City, it's like the highlight, you know, as a country girl, I go to New York City and if I see a horse, like well, I see a police horse or a carriage horse, like I'm happy. <laughs> now, you know, that's what I want to see when I go to the city. But many people are, feel that horses don't belong in the city, that, that they're miserably unhappy and that it's an unhealthy place for them. And there's been a lot of activism around yeah. it and a lot of other misinformation around it and a lot of, you know a lot of people that don't understand an animal and you know what they actually need and that they you know and working animals they, they don't get it and even you know it, it's 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 a as someone who grew up with the daughter of a truck driver these these animals have a union contract and they get five weeks of vacation out in the country which, than you know, my, my dad had to work 20 I wish I was a horse I think my dad worked 20 24 years before he got a five-week vacation so I wanted to write a, about that but I am not a city person and I I write best about my place yeah and so I I worked out a way to bring those issues back home to where I live. And so the story is really quite literally, uh, not specifically in the story, but the, the story is um, set on Patch Farm in Westminster West, where my friend David Major has a an award-winning sheep milk cheese dairy. So it's like exactly in my neighborhood, a kid growing up the way I grew up in that neighborhood, riding a horse based on the horse I had when I was a kid, sure. and yet, you know, dealing with these kind of, you know, really serious questions of, you know, is it actually, is it all, is it all right to keep animals? Is it, what is, 
Is it okay to eat animals? Is it okay to make a horse carry you around? When is it not okay? You know, like, the, right. they, yep. they, and I tried very hard not to, not to be one-sided about it. Um, so, you know, so what happens is you, in this case, like I have an issue, uh, the, the, the Vermont character, Joni, the girl sort of came to me and then there needed to be an antagonist and so an, an, you know another girl kind of appears and sh so she's a girl from California who's a, a vegan and an animal rights activist and then there's a I don't know it just takes a long time <laughs> it takes a long time of, of trying stuff and and finding finding your way to where it seems real and where where the people in the story take priority over the issue while at the same time you know since you can write about anything in the whole world while at the same time trying to to also stay close to the issues that I you know that I want to do and so you know physically I write a lot of things down in notebooks um, and then I you know mine the notebooks and type it in a computer and then do it you know do it over and over again and you know, it just it just takes a, a lot a lot of thought and a lot of time, um, and a lot of it is just agreeably mysterious. You know, there's sometimes when something just drops, right. and you're just like, "Wow, thank you." I don't know who you are, but thank you. <laughs> like I'll I'll be showering or I'll be um, doing the dishes, and it drives my wife crazy when I drop everything yeah. and I pick up you know my my notebook or or it's, something like that. It's those kind of times when you're not. I mean, my my sin is reading. I'm, or you know, I'm really really apt to either be reading or, or listening to the radio. But those times when you're doing something where you, where your brain is, you open know, to the open to the universe, and and it, and so sometimes it, you know, I'll I'll be like doing something, and realize, oh wait a minute, I'm writing. I better get this written down <laughs> because, yeah, because yeah. it's like it's going through my head and, yeah. and the actual words that will someday be on the page. And but sometimes it takes a minute to realize. Oh, you're writing you you better actually get something into your hand <laughs> Matt here has a very sort of knowing grin to his face like he knows he knows the zone he knows what it's like to be a, a, a writer and all of a sudden you get hit with a lightning bolt I guess well, right well and and uh, one thing that I was thinking of um, doesn't necessarily pertain to me but a friend of mine who's also my neighbor uh, up in Warner's David Elliott who's written a number of children's books and he had, uh, I think it was last year or a year and a half ago, uh, his, he had a YA novel in verse called Bull, the story of the Minotaur, his retelling of the, the story of the Minotaur. Uh -huh. And it, it, it's great. It's very, it's, it's structurally, it's extremely poetic, but it's also body. And, um, and, and it's fun and it's shocking, but he didn't know quite what to do when the voice of Poseidon had first come to him a number of years ago. Well, this, one doesn't, does one right, really? Well, he had, he had this, this, <laughs> this phrase. Uh, yeah. I, I can't remember if it was the opening line uh, of the book, which I think it was, uh, but, but Poseidon's voice just kind of came to him. He had no idea what to do with it. Like, why was he thinking of this? But, and it took him a, a number of years before, uh, and, and Poseidon kept 
speaking to him. Like I'm not, you know, he's not like he's hearing voices, but like this this character would not leave him alone. It is sometimes. It is. It's pretty weird stuff, isn't it? It's just pretty weird. Being a writer is weird. What to do with it? Flashlight Night came about from. I get back to SABWI, but I was coming back from a meet and greet down in Westford, Mass. A couple of times a year. Uh, everybody just kind of gets together, hangs out, have a couple of drinks, nachos, fries, whatever, and just chat, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I was down in Westford. Now I'm I'm up in Warner, New Hampshire, so it's it's a a good drive. And um, it's dark. It's probably ten ten thirty at night. It's in August, uh, so it's it's still ver- it's very dark. And I'm the only one on the road, and all I see are the headlights. I'm just I'm not falling asleep, but I'm just kind of zoning out. Dum 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 dum. And the line flashlight opens up the night pops into my head there you go i have no idea what to do with it but it's too good to just toss away then do you remember them or did you have to stop and write it down well well from that point on i mean i still had a good hour and a half at least to drive so for the rest of the drive i was kicking that idea around kicking around other ideas and by the time i got home i had um Pretty much the the first stanza and the final stanza of what seemed like a poem, uh, pretty much nailed down. I was uh, I was happy with what I had. I had no idea what was, what was going to go in the middle, but I had the beginning and the end pretty right. well down. So I got home, wrote it down as soon as I got home, and um, and then the next day and the next several days I I worked on fleshing it out, and I I managed to get the first draft of the book done in about a week. I heard a really good quote from some great poet on the radio, and, and he said, the, pro- the whole problem with the life of a poet is what to do with the other 23 and a half hours of the day. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and the thing is, you know, that, that I got, I got the, the, the rough draft done in about a week, and, uh, but I'm the type, I, I do what everybody tells you not to do. If, if you go to writing classes, they will tell you not to do this. I do it because I just, I just have to. You're told that uh, if you're writing, you you write, let the ideas come down, and get them on paper. And if you have to leave, you know, you go to bed and you start up the next day. Pick up where you left off. Don't fret about all the word choices from the past pages or what, everything that you've done. You know, don't don't revise it. Don't shine it up. Just write. I can't do that. I ha- every time I write a poem or or a picture book manuscript, I start at the very beginning. And I go through it, make sure that it's as good as it can be, and only then do I feel comfortable enough to pick up where I had left yep, off. Yep. So I wrote the final, the, the, the first rough draft in about yep. a week, but it, it had probably gone through 10 revisions by the time I got there because I have to, I have to start from the beginning again. Well, sometimes that's your ramp, kind of. It's like that, that gets your brain in the right, right place. Right, yeah, I, I do that all the time when I, when I don't, you know, in a novel, I don't start at the very beginning every day. Well, sure, day, sure, but exactly. when I go back, I probably, if I'm working on a chapter, I'll go back to the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, poetry and, and picture books, you have a little yeah. more and more leeway in that. Yeah. But as far as the, oh, I, yeah. I just no, want to no, say, for, for, the, for the, as far as inspiration, I... I felt like uh, when, when National Geographic Book of Nature Poetry came out in 20, uh, 2015, it was at that point that uh, it, it was at the point that I had written the poem that, and I knew it was going to be going into the book. At the point that I knew the poem was going in the book was the point at which I felt like I had actually finally become a professional writer. 
And I say that for that particular poem because up until that point, from the time I remember writing, I would write when I was inspired. I would write a, one of these adult poems because maybe the, the way the moon was shining through the clouds kind of inspired me or yeah. the love of my wife inspired me or my kids or something that the cat did or some stupid thing the dog did. You, know, you, you kind of wait to be inspired and you wait for that inspiration, the, the, the flashlight thing. Um, and that's all well and good, but when you are a professional writer, you can't wait for inspiration. If you are writing, you need to be writing about something. Even if it's something that you're, that you're not even gonna publish, you need to be writing. And uh, for adult poetry, I would wait until I was inspired and I would send it off to a, a journal and hope to get accepted. Maybe I wouldn't, so I'd send it right. off somewhere yep. else. With children's publishing, um, with these anthologies that, that come out, like the National Geographic book, they will contact you and they will say, I need a poem about whatever, whatever the subject is. And you write the poem and you have to send it back. And so, and, and I'd had a couple of other poems in, in anthologies done that sort of, sort of that way. Um, but the National Geographic one is, I, I, I specify that one because of the way it came about. I started hearing some of my fellow friends and, and writers mentioning on Facebook that they were accepted into this National Geographic book. And I was thinking, ah, oh, crud. I, you know, Pat Lewis, who is the, the former children's poet laureate, who I know, I, I'm thinking, ah, oh, he, he never asked me to be in it. Oh, what, what's going on? So I sent him a, a, a quick email. I said, hey, Pat, I heard about the book. You know, if, if you do find that you need a poem, yeah, I'd love to, to be a part of it. Um, and so he sends me back a, a quick email. Oh, Mia culpa! I'm so sorry. He said you and a couple of others I completely forgot about. Right. And I'm thinking, Pat, you're the children's poet laureate. You don't have to apologize <laughs> to me. But he's, he's a very nice guy and, and uh, you know, highly regarded. And so he said, you know, if, if I do need a poem, I will let you know. Yeah. A week later, he sends me an email. He said, as it turns out, there's some poems I can't use in this book. Uh, he said, if. If you're interested, I need a poem about rainbow eucalyptus trees. And I'm so there. Right, I'm your man. Right, he said, you know, and I really need it by the end of the week if that's possible. Getting back to the beginning of this podcast, what do you say? You say yes. You say yes. So I have no idea what the hell a rainbow eucalyptus tree is. But Luckily, there's the yeah, internet. There's a thing called Google. So I Googled it, and I learned that they are part of the uh, eucalyptus tree family. And these plants, they grow around like Malaysia and um, and, and that, that area. Yeah. And they are these huge trees. And the bark, if you look at them, it looks like they are splattered with multicolored paint. That's what the bark looks like, from, from the bottom all the way up to the top. And what it is is that the bark actually peels off in these little strips and it reveals the yellow pith underneath. And as it weathers, it changes to orange, red, green, yellow, blue, brown. They're, they're beautiful. Okay, well, now I know what they are. So I wrote two poems. This was a Monday that he'd emailed me. So I managed to, to get the, uh, the research done. I wrote two poems. One was rhyming, a little bit more whimsical. One was free verse and sent about both off to him. Yeah. Said, you know, what do you think? Uh, he liked the free verse one. He said, this one particular word, I don't think it quite works. I said, okay, sure. So I emailed him back with a different word. Great, it's in. Boom. Three days. And so I, I, I was thinking to myself, this is like whose line is it anyway, right? Oh, you're, okay, you're a rat and you're stuck in a tree and here's the premise and go, be funny. Mm -hmm. You know, he sent me the, the premise, rainbow eucalyptus trees. I need a poem. 
hopefully by the end of the week. So I managed to research it, write two poems, one of them publishable by the National Geographic Society, and I managed to do it in three days. And I'm thinking, I didn't wait for inspiration. You yeah, went he, out. He you told did me it. right. You I I there. found it, and um, you know, if you were told to write a poem about um, like uh, school people, the school people anthology, I need a poem about a bus driver. You got it. You'll well, do it. I'll you know, do it. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like having someone wave a check in front of you to inspire you. <laughs> there's really nothing right. like that. But there's also nothing like being asked that question. You know, you can sit around and wait for inspiration, and it comes because that it's really cool but the other thing is i mean a poem about a bus driver like it almost immediately sparks something like right oh <laughs> you know I, I i know a bunch of bus drivers and, and you know something right. something starts to happen just because you're asked that question and so but i think what's what's important also about your story is that you kind of put out that little inquiry like hey you know hey i'm here if you need some more and that's that's one of the things that's hard for i you know i speak for myself it's hard for me to do that yeah. but i've gotten a lot of work that way by you know just kind of sending people you know and i always think I, I always think of good old George H.W. Bush and, <laughs> and how he made his career on sending his thank you notes. And that, you know, just kind of doing that little polite, hi, how are you, um, getting together with people, staying in friendly contact and, and so that they think of you, so that you are available. And I, you know, when I was a young, young writer, I. I, I'm sure I scorned that kind of idea yeah, and that yeah. like oh, going out and trolling for work it, it should all just be pure but you have to inspiration be, you have to be bold though. you have, you have to, to be to bold down. yeah that was it was easy for me to scorn that because I was too shy to do it but yeah let me just interject here with a, with a story about about you know former President Bush that sticks to my day sticks in my head to this day um, my wife and I were we were honeymooning in, in the state of up in Maine um, we went to a restaurant, and there was a picture of of our waiter Patrick. I'll never forget Patrick's name because of the story. Standing with with the former president while he was president, mm -hmm. and he served. One night he served the president dinner, and and the very next day there's a boat going by, and there's. Um, George Sr. waving, hey, Patrick, how you doing? <laughs> and the thing is, he, the President of the United States remembered, remembered his name. Remembered the waiter, yep. yeah. The, he, the, the, the President of the United States remembered this guy's name. And he had a way of remembering everybody's name. Now, his son, George yeah, W., so he had, he, the way he remembered everybody's name is that he gave everybody <laughs> nicknames right. because he couldn't remember his, yeah. but you know, but now you're Skippy, whether yeah. you want it or not. Right. That's the thing, and you have to be bold. You have to say to to an editor, "Hey, listen, I want to I want to write mm. um, a story for you, or well, I got a story for you." It takes it takes b boldness. It right. does. Well, that's how I got back with Rebecca. Right. I would say I was on. You know, we we were friends on Facebook. We'd sort of reconnected, but yeah. I hadn't really been thinking about sending because Boyd's Mills Press had changed a bit from when um, you know it, it it had gone through an evolution since the first time yeah. I was aware of it yeah. and I hadn't paid a lot of attention to that but I 
was looking on Facebook and here's you know Rebecca talking about maybe six books she had coming out with Boys Mills Press that she'd edited you know this person that person Jane Yole and and I, and I just like I sort of said how come I don't have a book with Rebecca and I, I wrote her that and she said, well, I, how come you don't? Why don't you send me something? And so, you know, so it was like literally that kind of, you know, just kind of saying it, putting right. yourself out there. It's an industry, but, you know, it but still it's comes down to people, to and, people. and knowing people. And, and uh, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't probably have contacted uh, J. Patrick Lewis about the National Geographic book had I not known him. Mm. Um, but Helps we, to we've know known people. each other for a couple yeah. of right. years. Um, and then when he, he has uh, a, the third in the National Geographic book series uh, is coming out this September, it's called The Poetry of Us. So the first one was the National Geographic book of animal poetry, mm -hmm. sort of speaks for itself. 200 full-color National Geographic photos paired with uh, poems from contemporary poets. Uh, I mean, I'm in there, Jane Yolen, uh, along with, with folks like uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I mean, there's just all kinds of different people. I thought um, he was dead. I think they he, dug he, him he, up. And I didn't even realize he was sick, really. <laughs> so, so then they came out with a National, Ge National Geographic book of nature poetry. Yep. Um, and then, so the poetry of us, which is in September, is about all the, the, the big places, the little out-of-the-way spots, the monuments that make America American, you know, the, the Americana of, of the country. And so he had asked me sure. if I would write a poem about Las Vegas nightlife. And so I said... If there is anything a country boy from New Hampshire like me knows all about, it's Las Vegas nightlife. I said, sure. He says, so he replied back. He said, well, you know, if you would rather do something else, that's fine. You know, I'm just trying to spread, you know, the, the, the subjects around. I said, no, 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 don't, don't misunderstand me, Pat. I relish the opportunity to write a poem about a place I know nothing about and have it published in a National Geographic book. This is this is an awesome challenge, and, and I don't use the word awesome very but you much. Love but the challenge, though. right? It was great. So here again, I mean, the only thing I know about Las Vegas is what I've seen on TV. Sure. And you know they've got they've got gambling, showgirls, and cheap steak. Like that's pretty much. And Robert Urich. <laughs> that's all I know about Vegas. So I go online, and and again, thank you Google, because I could learn about Las Vegas, uh, but I could also learn about the the the, the townships and the, like the suburbs and get a feel yeah. for what the demographics are of those suburbs, what right. the make of it is. Google Maps, go street level, baby, and I'm driving around Las Vegas. That's it. In my pajamas at home. And so I could, I was able to pick the, the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino, which is one of the tallest buildings out there. They have yeah. amusement rides at the very top of this place. That <laughs> shoot you <laughs> back in. And so I wrote, I wrote a, a blank verse sonnet. Uh, with a little bit of a nod to uh, Percy's Ozymandias, which is a poem about the desert and, and mankind's uh, propensity of, of trying to build monuments in recognition of his his great you know, right. yep. greatness. So I wrote this poem, and uh, we tweeted it a couple of times, and it, and it got in. So I'm really thrilled that I was able to once again, write a poem I knew nothing about, right. and have it published in such a high profile book because I, I didn't just wait around for inspiration and and one of the great rules that uh, that I always share with people is, is actually a Jane, Roll, jo, a Jane Yolen rule and that's the BIC rule B-I-C she is a great proponent of the butt in chair rule there you go that you, you yeah. sit down and you do the work you write 
and you you get it done. You don't wait for the inspiration, the butt in chair rule. So there's magic in deadlines. There's <laughs> it's like if you have a deadline, you will come up with things to meet the deadline that you wouldn't ordinarily think uh, of. Yeah, and you'll blast through the work even though it's huge and yep. yeah. And I, yeah, and, and you'll you know and, and you'll find that you're not the writer you thought you were. I, mm. I mean, I used to feel that if I if I didn't get up and go, you know, right to my desk and work in the morning, that well, the day was shot, and, and I wouldn't do any writing that day. And when I began to be a busier writer, I found, lo and behold, by God, you can go in there even after dark, and like they have lights, lights, and everything, and right. <laughs> turn on the light, and you can, I, you know, basically any time. And it was a, you know, it was a big surprise to me. You get these, you get these ideas of yourself based on what you have done, and. You don't really realize how, you know, how absolutely flexible you can be. And, you know, if people are waving checks in front of, in front of you, that makes you more flexible. If people are like, you really have to get that in, um, makes it really more flexible. And then you discover also, I think, when you, in times of, you know, personal trouble and sorrow and anxiety, how nice it is to be able to go and get your head into a different world and yeah, you know yeah. you're really responsible for everything that happens in that world including you know including you know the character's life or death and the, the weather and the you know everything yeah. and you, it's just time goes away and whatever was bothering you goes away for that amount of time and right. so it's you know it, it can be a, a wonderful refuge as well as a you know the whole professional thing so and, and I found that that the the, the whole um, process of being given the, the topic to write about and then you write about the topic that I, I have found that that's actually easier than than coming up with quote unquote inspiration on your own um, because if someone tells me okay I need you to write a poem about the night sky that's pretty wide open. Sure. If they say, I need you to write a poem about the red giant Antares, you got it. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, that's very specific. And, and so I, you need it to be I specific. I can sort of zoom. Yeah, I find that I can, I can zoom in on this one particular aspect. I can think about it. And as, as people who write poetry, and I, I never refer to myself as a poet, I feel like that's, that's an honorarium that people can designate upon people, but I just don't feel comfortable Somebody else saying, needs you needs to call you. Yeah, a poet. And, if they, and if they do, I feel awkward. Sure. I, I, I say thank you. I appreciate it. It's it's, it's a, a great honor to be called that. I just I don't feel like I am a poet. But I I, I write from the the point of view of a poet. I think poets have been practicing mindfulness before mm -hmm. mindfulness became the catchword that it that it is. Yeah. Um, you you look at a, a particular subject from all different angles. You look at what it is what it could be, how does it affect you, how does it affect its environment, um, how does it smell, how does it taste, um, all right. these different things. And uh, if it tastes salty, what else, what else tastes salty? So what else could it be? I mean, you think of all these different, different aspects of this one particular subject, and then you sort of allow your mind to call through Just what's go good through and it. call yeah, through yeah. You know, what, and what's not. I, I wrote a poem um, last week about a, uh, I had a photo from our time at York Beach of a, uh, of a little tiny patch of a rainbow, a 
that my wife had taken. And it wasn't the full rainbow, it was just a little, tiny little patch. And I kept looking at it. I was trying to think of what to write. And it was just a, a short little haiku that I was going to write. And this one little phrase that came to me that I thought was kind of cool that I used in this haiku. And the people who were reading it, I posted it on my blog. And, and everybody who was po uh, seeing this haiku, they loved this little phrase I yeah. came up with. was uh, a sunshine thumbprint. There you go. But it's not like it's a, this great you know, earth-shattering kind of you know, phrase, but it's, it's just something different. It's the beginning and, of something. Right. So it's an idea. Right, and it, it, but it's, it's mindfulness. It's just yeah. looking at the rainbow, this little patch, and kind of thinking, what is it? What could it be? And so, um, so I, I think inspiration comes from just being aware of, of your subject and, yeah. and understanding your subject and, and all the aspects of it. When we were setting up, there was a young lady who came here, and she was asking you about promoting your written work, your book. And you said the, the two-word phrase that sort of, you could, I, you could actually see the color drain from her face <laughs> when you said this. How important is social media to authors, mm. to publishing, to self-promotion? Jess? I will say that I'm quite bad at it. <laughs> um, and so, I'm probably not a good person to ask. Uh, I'm sure that pe there are people who do a good job at that. Social media for me is a, um, you know, a good way to stay in touch with some some people in the field, and you know, I'm connected with Rebecca on social media. Right. So, so there you go. Um, you know, and other than that, it's one of the things like doing school visits that I know can be really good for people's careers and that I um, don't do. I'm on Facebook and I, I make my attempts and occasionally I attempt to have a blog and actually post things regularly and then I stop. And uh, I, my, so, I don't think I don't say this is the way to do it. I just say that what I have I have to fall back on who I am, which is like, okay, what you're good at is writing books. So what you really, if you have to choose, you should just you know work, do what you're do what you're good at, <laughs> get get another thing going, and you know take opportunities as they come up. So for you, yeah. social media is just about staying in touch with the the writers yeah, and staying, publishing staying, community. Yeah, yeah, and I and I also you know I don't do a hugely good job at that, but I yeah I'm in touch with the with people who you know I'm in touch with my publishers that way. Sure. And and you know it's sort of keep my ear to the ground the, that way a little bit. That's but, how yeah. you that's how you know that there are opportunities out Sometimes, there. Sometimes, yeah, I th I think there you know I think I could do a lot. Well, no, I'm going to say I think many people do a better job. I don't know if I could do a better job. <laughs> so, you, you, yeah. But you use you have a, I, a, a, you have a relationship with social media, mm, but you kind yeah. of keep it at, at arm's distance. Yeah, yeah. While Matt, on the other hand, you have a, a different approach to it, where you had said to the extent that you think that social media is essential for 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 being a successful poet. Well, I mean, it, it, it's it's been essential for me and a number of folks I know who are 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 getting into publishing now. Um, I have a blog, I have a Facebook page, Twitter. I don't do Instagram, but I know a number who who do. Um, 
we have an opportunity these days we didn't have 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you can meet so many people uh, who are in the industry. I've be, between the SEBWI and and Facebook and t- Twitter, I've met so many people who. Um, yeah, I may not have met them in person, but we know each other well enough that you know, we can we'll send each other you know, messages on Facebook or emails or we're congratulating them on different things. Um, you know, Lee Bennett Hopkins, like I said, the, the fellow who I've uh, published a number of these anthologies with, Jane Yolen. I would never have been able to meet Jane Yolen. I wouldn't be able to, to say, oh, yeah, I know Jane Yolen. Mm-hmm. You know, we chat. You know, she, we, we were leaving the, uh, one of the conferences uh, last year. And my group was waiting for me down in the lobby of the, the hotel, and Jane saw me. She says, oh, Matt, uh, uh, come here. I, I had a question to, to ask you. So I, I stopped, and, and we're, we're chatting. And about 15 minutes later, my group was looking up the stairs at me like, what's happening? <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking to Jane Yolen. You know, <laughs> Jane wants to talk. You, you, you chat with Jane Yolen. You know, she's, she's great. She's, yeah. she's a, a wonderful source of, of inspiration and encouragement, uh, especially as someone who, who, who writes poetry. But there, David Harrison. Uh, the only guy I know who has a school named after him. I would never have known him were it not for social media. Nikki Grimes, who's a, a highly regarded poet, she started following me on Twitter a number of years ago, and I remember seeing, you know, Nikki Grimes is following you. I'm thinking, why would Nikki Grimes be following me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but she's, she's great. I, I wrote a, um, I, I collaborated on a manuscript with Charles Guigna, uh, known as Father oh, Goose, cool. yes. uh, down in Alabama. Um, we've been friends uh, on Facebook and, and elsewhere for a number of years. He had a, a few, like four or five stanzas to something that he, did, he didn't know quite what to do with it. Uh, he didn't know if it was a poem or what it was. And uh, he sent them to me. I said, well, you know, what, what if we did this? So I sent him back a few more stanzas that kind of built on what he had written. And he said, oh, that's a good idea. So how, how about we do this? And so back and forth, and, and we came up with so a, a picture book manuscript. I, I've got a manuscript written with Father Goose, of all people. <laughs> uh, and we're subbing it right now. That's um, I couldn't have done that. It's not because I'm so great. It's just because I'm, yeah, I'm making you're, the effort you're to, right. to get in touch with these people. And, and they, they see me, and I have the blog, so people could see what I wrote. And I've had people ask me, uh, well, you know, if you're publishing poems on the blog, you know, what if you want to use a poem, you know, in an e- anthology, you know, you're, you're writing all these poems that you're sharing for free. What happens if there's an anthology comes up and you could use a poem? I said, I'll write more. <laughs> right. It's, <laughs> I mean, I gotta get it's pay- not like there's a finite supply, right? Really. <laughs> I will just keep on, you know, you know getting people. I, I want people to know who I am. I mean, I'm not trying to be in your face about it. And I'm not, right. I'm not, not on Facebook saying, hey, buy this book. Hey, buy this book. Yeah, hey, that's really me, annoying. Me, that me. is. Right. That Nobody is. wants that. I mean, I, yeah. I, I told people that I was going to be here at Toadstool, but um, last night I, I also shared a photo of my, my kids when we were, at, uh, we were at the lake yesterday over at Sunapee, and the kids were just kind of looking out onto the water. I said, you know, sometimes uh, a quiet, unhurried day at the park is just what everyone needs. Yeah. I think you know, just, yeah, we're, we're, we're people. You know, yeah. There's a human yeah. element to all this. Jess? One of the fun, the, the fun social media moment I had recently is I, I'm friends with a lot of horse people on Facebook and, you know, I, I, I have Morgan horses, so I'm like, oh, nice. these Morgan horse groups and, and somebody posted something that I wanted to know more about and I asked her a question and she answered me and, and then she said, 
and I just realized it's you. <laughs> and she's this young mother who lives out in Oregon and has horses, has Morgan horses, and she has them because she read my first book when she was growing up. And That's amazing. And, you know, and now she has, you know, I was like, I feel like, and she just, you know, she just bought a Morgan mare in full and got her dream oh, full. That's nice. that's cool. I feel like, a, you know, I'm a, a godmother. Right. <laughs> and it just was, it was so cool. But, but that, again, that would never have happened 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. And, I, and I, it's one of the things I always loved about being an author is that you have these mysterious relationships with people that you'll never meet. Right. That they're, you know, it's them in the book and it was you in the book and it's like, you know, it's, that's just really cool. But then it's also fun to meet some of them too. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's the craziest thing when people walk up to you in the, in the strangest moments, whereas um, one time somebody came up to me while I was um, at the car wash and he said, it's you. It's, it's it's you. No, it's not. And I'm like, I, I what what have you heard? And it's like I listen to you, I listen to your podcast, and thank you so much for what you're doing. And it was it it made everything so much better. Yeah. And it was just like one of those moments where I wish I could have picked up the phone and called my dad and said, Dad, you know, somebody somebody recognizes me and appreciates me for my work. Something you never did. And I hung up the phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, turn on your emo music. <laughs> you know, but I think that um, th th this is a very special time for artists and writers. Whereas I could, I could, I could pack up my circus, my digital circus, go to a location like this, see people like you, put this out on the internet, and you're going to touch more lives. Mm. You know, I have a listener in Antarctica. Isn't that bizarre? You are going <laughs> to have somebody... How do they Listen, get books? Well, I, 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 have a blog follow, I have a blog books. follower in yeah. India. Isn't that How? I have no idea why. <laughs> Who cares? Right. You have a yeah. blog follower in <laughs> India. And the thing is that it was just like, but for me, it reminds me of who I'm doing this for. I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm doing it for the scientists who were watching the mating habits of penguins and lion seals or whatever in Antarctica. This is the highlight of his week, maybe. Huh. I have to do this for this guy. Yeah. You're doing this for your follower in India, and your, your guy in India might start listening to my podcast because we had this conversation, and some guy, some scientist who is in Antarctica is gonna say, hey, Birthday's coming up for um, my niece Haley. I'm gonna buy her um, flashlight night night. You know, it's something like that. That's it oh, yeah. never would have happened if it. But if it did happen, it happened at a much much slower pace during the time of 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 mail. All right, mm -hmm. postage and, and and stuff like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and doing uh, doing school visits and and things like that, you you realize the impact that you have. Uh, if I'm visiting a school for um, either talking about the, the process of writing you yeah, know, and, and yeah. creativity and that sort of thing, or or just talking about how how books are, are put together, you know, some kids have they've never met an author, and I don't think I'm all that great, but they think it's pretty cool. You know, I'm I'm just me, right? But they're they're amazed that you know this person actually put the the book together and and um, and when you're talking to the kids 
and you see how they're excited they are. Maybe, you know, Flashlight Night is, uh, I've had, you know, parents say, oh my gosh, you wrote Flashlight Night? I love that book. And it makes me you know, feel kind of good that, that I had some sort of uh, positive impact on them or that the kid loves dinosaurs and they find out about my book, uh, Don't Ask a Dinosaur, that I wrote with Deb Russ. Right. Oh, cool. This book has some dinosaurs I haven't heard of before. Here's and the most. They're all excited. Here's the most amazing thing about author visits to school, to schools. You're going to touch some kid's life, and he's going to be in his 30s and 40s, might have a podcast or whatever they'll have <laughs> 20 or 30 years from now, and you're the reason why he's doing it or she's yeah. doing it. And one thing I always I tell, I tell all the kids, I said, what, what I, I think I, I told you towards the beginning of the, the broadcast is that no one ever told me I could be a writer right, yeah. as, as a profession. Like right. they, they tell you, you need to write. Your kids are writing in school 12 years of their lives, but no one ever says you could actually do it for a living. It's not easy, takes a long time. You can do it though. But you can, you can do it. This, this mm, is actually right. a, a career. And I'm always pointing out kind of unusual careers to my son. We went to the movies uh, last week and they had this huge cardboard, he's, he's all into dinosaurs. He wants to be right. a movie maker when he grows up. Who so he, doesn't? Oh well, he—I mean, he—he he watches like the making of yeah. the movies, so he understands green screens, motion capture, and the computer modeling. He, he sees them doing this on on the behind right. the scenes right. thing. So we're there at the movies, and they have this massive, massive Jurassic World poster. Yeah, uh, and it's this cardboard display that they have set up, and it, it's sky high inside the theater and there's the T-Rex kind of coming out at you three-dimensionally. Yeah. I said, dude, someone made this. I said, this is, this is another career. Like, nobody ever thinks about it, but somebody designed this, they put this together, and they figured out how all the pieces are gonna fit. Yeah. And th this is actually a career. This, the, the, the cover of Flashlight Night. We have an illustrator, but there's a person at the publishing company, at most publishing companies, who is the cover designer. Their job is to just figure out, how is this cover going to look? So there are all kinds of graphic jobs designers. out there that nobody it's, ever tells you about. Yeah, it's all, it's so, all about yeah, graphic so design. I, that, yeah. That's one thing I try to impress upon the kids. Like, you know, it's not just construction worker, nurse, baker. <laughs> there are all kinds of right. jobs out there you don't even right. know about. I want to ask you guys a, 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 a very difficult question. How, Sometimes, but only on Tuesdays. <laughs> how do you handle negative criticism and trolls? Well, I don't get very many, and I just zap them away. That's, that's <laughs> you know, I was like, pay no attention. They don't get into your head. They don't. Nah. They, they don't bother you. They don't. No, I don't. I don't like bad reviews, but um, no. Basically, I mean, I. I, I literally don't get many I, like right. you know one or one or two times I've had some something come through but it's one of the advantages of not being out there on you <laughs> Twitter to, and yeah, not right. you know and having a, a Facebook community not like a kind of wide open right kind of thing you know because if you're that kind of a person I don't really care what you think <laughs> you know to tell you the truth I don't that's and awesome. anybody who would say something like that, why would I care what they think? Oh, you know? that's awesome. That's awesome. Next time, next time I'm down in the dumps, I'm going to call you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean, there's just people. I don't know. People are negative for sport these days. People, yeah. I don't know. People are such jerks lately. Right. So you know, it's it's. Yeah. You know. How about you? Um, I don't. I don't get a, a whole lot of 
negative comments or, or, or trolls necessarily. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I don't post a lot of things that are, are political um, on my Facebook page just because it's it's a it's a professional page, and you know some people want people to to know you know where they stand on on politics, and that's, right. uh, that's their right. Um, my politics have nothing to do really with my writing, um, and so I, you know, I, I don't want to be ostracizing yeah. some people. I mean, there, there have been a couple of posts you could say might be considered political, but whatever whatever political posts I, I have on my Facebook page, I usually think it's it's awfully hard to to disagree with. This and if someone does disagree, I'm not, I'm right. not going to worry about it. There was a there was a, a news article about um, the um, the population of of uh, whites is now is is decreasing, and that uh, Latinos and blacks there's more more Hispanics and, and blacks in the country, and and what it means. And so I shared the the article on Facebook. I said honestly, I don't care. How many of any of these colors are there? I just want the good people to outnumber the bad people. That's all yeah, I want. Yeah. You know, so something like that. Book. Something yeah. like that. Right. Um, so, so I don't, I don't get you know trolls. I mean, there's some negative reviews occasionally, but I, you know, you're not, you can't please everybody. So I don't worry about that. Yeah, because I, yeah, I put a lot of pol- political things up on my personal Facebook page, and you know, honestly, if I, I don't know if I, if I get something offensive, I just. You know, I you, just you zap just, the person. You just blow like, through it. You yeah. just blow I through it. I don't, I don't. I mean, I really don't care. <laughs> yeah. I will say one one thing that that disturbed me, and I haven't mentioned this on my Facebook page. I haven't brought it up. It's been probably three or four weeks now, and I, I keep it. It keeps sticking to the back of my mind, and it's it. I don't know quite if I should bring it up on Facebook or not because I don't want to open up a, a, a can. I don't know if it's um, if it's something that I should bring up on Facebook or not, but it it. it disturbed me and that was there's a Facebook group page for uh, children's writers and, and illustrators and there was a number of them but there was one in particular about three or four weeks ago a, um, a fellow uh, posted that um, he had I think he had just completed a manuscript for a picture book and he was so excited, and he he wanted. He said, uh, I, "I thank God for the inspiration because I wouldn't have written this without him." He got deluged with vitriol right. from people saying, "Why do you have to bring God into this? And God didn't do anything. And this is not a religious wow. page. And get out of here!" And blah 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 blah. And I'm thinking, <laughs> "Oh my gosh, people! You can't just say congratulations." You know, God is make believe and blah blah blah. I'm, I'm thinking in my mind. I'm not responding to any of these people. But I'm thinking, yeah. if God right. is make believe, why does He annoy you so much? <laughs> like, do you get this riled up over Elsa? Yeah. I mean, come on. The guy had just wrote a manuscript. He's happy. He, if if I said, hey, I, I I thank my my wife for inspiring me, you wouldn't be sh- coming down my neck. But he thanks God, and you're like, you're children's oh, writers. Like, yeah. calm down. People are qu- yeah. People I'm, are ex- I don't know. Yeah, people are extraordinary, and, and, and they yeah. weren't. They weren't probably anybody that you know because I, I, I started thinking right. like I didn't recognize a lot of the names, so I'm looking through, and a lot of them are self-published and nothing against self-publishing, but you know there there are people who are like trying to get into the business. I'm thinking you're not going to go a good anywhere way. Oh. Yeah. if you're going to be that bent out of shape about someone thanking God for inspiration. Like chill out, dude. Uh, I I think it's I think it's amazing how 
successful people are when they just focus on what that one or two things that they're good at as soon as they start evangelizing <laughs> like I really dig av avocados and if you're not an avocado <laughs> eater you're a bad person right. that'll destroy your career oh, faster yeah. than than anything else and it was just like and, and social media is a minefield they can go back to 2010 and see something that yeah. you tweeted and your career is done well and I I, I felt bad for this, this poor fellow right. and, and I you know I, I don't normally engage Right. people and, and I, I didn't try to engage anybody I just said you know I'm sorry that you're getting all of this right. you know feedback but you know regardless of, of where your inspiration came right. from I'm I'm happy for you yeah and they start coming down on me oh yeah you're trying to be the the effing voice of reason blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> I'm thinking okay really you know I don't I don't need print this. up the t-shirt <laughs> oh yeah like they were coming yeah. down on me because I'm just trying to say hey congratulations dude I'm trying to I'm just I'm not putting them down I'm just saying yeah that's hey, the, good good for you and that, that's time to exit yeah I couldn't believe it was in a group like it was. And the it fact that just, the moderators didn't do anything about it, is that also? Uh, I checked back like a week later, it was still up. They, they hadn't taken it. Uh, actually, I actually know that. I think they did They did take it down a few days later. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was it was pointless. There was no reason for it. Yeah. Oh. And I, I do think it, that it bring, in many ways it brings out the worst in people. Really, people, yeah. people really do not, just, in my experience, Act that way to each other face to face, you, you just, but they you, feel so empowered. You just imagine this 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 fifty year old kid Ricky who is living <laughs> in his mom's basement <laughs> with movie posters from nineteen seventy eight hanging around and, yeah. and his long stringly beard. So and sometimes it's not those people. Sometimes it's people that you know. Sometimes it's people that like uh, like you have heard their names and they and they're jealous you know, of your but, success. Well, you know, people just like they let some it. Some people that live for the they let it rip for the pugilism. And they, <laughs> it's not possible to disagree on certain things. And you know, and one of the things I must say, I steer, I moderately steer clear of, is um, things that are, you know, the whole politically correct thing. And and yeah. it's, and it's huge in children's books. Really, really huge. And you are. It is very wrong to disagree or to be skeptical about certain things you know it's like it's analogous to having an you know an opinion about the me too movement that isn't um strictly you know getting out the hatchets and, and right. going full bore it, it, you know you and I, and i i i'm enough of a big mouth that i have you know i will express a contrarian view but i'm not going to I don't then engage, you know, it's right. like, I'll say my say, I'll have like a peek at the reaction, but I'm, I'm like out of there. I, you know, the beauty of me, I live in an off-grid cabin in the woods. I don't live with my internet connection, oh. <laughs> you know, it's God like, I don't care, you, you know, wow. it'll be hours later before I'm checking back in, I'm in the middle of feeding animals yeah. and I'm going back home again. I, I, I I don't live with it and I don't care. <laughs> and I think, I think, I think that's awesome. more people, you know, need to have realize and I th I think it's I think it's very hard for people it's, it's really hard for people to realize you, you, actually, you actually do not have to look at that. You you, you really you know, you don't you don't live with this enormous community of people in real life all day long. That would drive you mad. So why do you, would you why do you want to be connected 
to the whole world electronically, that, you know, realize that it is probably driving you mad, and put it down and make supper. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Have a drink. Right. And it also cuts into your writing time as well. It, well, it oh, would yeah. if yeah. It would if you let it. Yeah. And it's yeah. you know, and I want I don't want to, you know, be holier thou. It's there there's a seductive element you to it. You can be. Definitely. This is this is my podcast and okay. I'm letting you be. Right. Well, holier. I am holier than most people. Okay. <laughs> but you know, I I recognize that it's seductive, but at the same time it's also deeply boring in some way too. Yeah, yeah, and you you like yeah. you, you're kind of like going through and you're like I'm waiting for something interesting. Wait a minute. Go home. Right. <laughs> Do right. some work. <laughs> so now, wrapping this up, because I, I I don't mean to sound like my therapist, but we're we're about out of time. Okay. What? There are new writers out there who are listening to this right now, and they they're looking for a piece of advice. What? How do you get started in writing? Read and write. That's. I mean. You know, the beauty of it is you do not need to, although you can spend a lot of money and go to an MFA program and all this kind of stuff, you know, like, if if you want to be a writer, you should be a reader. If you want to be a writer, you pick up a pencil or, a, you know, open your computer. It's it's yeah. free. <laughs> you yeah. know, well, the learning process uh, will be long and hard, but it's free, and so get started and... Um, joining a, a critique group can can be helpful for some people at some points but it's not for everybody but you know the main thing is to get going um, yeah what 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 she said um, as far as critique groups yeah they some can be very helpful some maybe not so if you feel like you've joined a critique group and you don't feel like you're getting a lot out of it there are other critique groups out there um, I've been able to uh, and get a lot of good feedback from the, the local one that I'm part of uh, with the SCBWI. Uh, I was uh, part of an online poetry critique group a few years ago uh, that was made up of a number of really well-known people. It was uh, it was actually quite an, an honor yeah. to be part of this critique group, but I didn't feel like I was getting anything out of it. You know, they were all wonderful people, but I just I I wasn't. None of the poems that I was publishing. I had had critiqued, and the poems that I'd had critiqued, I hadn't gotten published. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was a matter of time, you know, time management right, here. Right. You know, ROI was just not there. So I, I, I left that. I mean, we're all still friends, but um, and a couple of others have left, and some other folks, you know, come in and, and take over. Um, but yeah, uh, just you know, read as much as you can in in the genre that you you want to get into, and write as much as you can. Um, I've tried to encourage. The uh, this uh, this hashtag that I, I I started up. It's not like it's this big trending hashtag on Twitter, but I felt like it was something that was worthy of of promoting. You you've heard the phrase that you should dance like no one's watching. Right. Yeah. So my my thing is write like no one is reading. <laughs> you know, just write. Don't worry if it's not perfect for a publisher or be willing to be, lower your standards right right it <laughs> yeah. just just get the words out and uh and maybe you'll do something with it maybe you won't maybe it'll inspire something that's even better mm. um, but just just write and learn as much as you can and and do your best to, to try to connect mm. do we have any questions from the audience anybody have anything that they'd like to ask 
Okay. You've been a good audience. There, there, is, there is an audience. There is. There is. Yeah, here, a, hold the mic up, and you can see. Exactly. <laughs> see, look. All right. So uh, now this is time for you guys to promote yourselves. Um, Jess, where can people find you on, on the interwebs? I have a website, uh, www.jessiehaas.com. So um, that will link you to my Facebook page and the publishers and tell me more about the books. But yeah, and pictures of my horses and cats. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, how can we find you? Uh, I am online uh, everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, no, no, no Instagram yet, but we're, we're working on that. Uh, Pinterest. Uh, but you can, the easiest way to find me is mattforest.com is my website. Two T's, two R's, mattforest.com. And when you go there, you'll see uh, that there's two different pages or, or two different sections of the site you can go to. One is for my voiceover work as I produce commercials and that sort of thing. And then the other one is for uh, children's writing where you'll find info on um, all the, the books and the books that I've been a part of. Uh, I have a section on school visits if you're interested in having me uh, visit the school and talk to the kids. So all, all of that is is on the website. Thank you so much for coming here to Toadstool Bookstore in Keene, New Hampshire, and um, look forward to having you guys on again. Well, thanks to you, and thanks to Toadstool. Yeah, thank you, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. <laughs> thanks, man. My new best friend. This has been the Federal Chronicles radio show and a co-production of the Diesel Punk podcast. You can find out more about us by going to our websites, thefedoralchronicles.com and dieselpunks.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can find these links on our homepages. Be sure to visit our sponsors, Chester Cordite, Landron Artifacts, and the Trinity Whip Company. Also, check out the friends of our show, Penman Hats, and Reconstructing History. Once again, this is Eric Render King Fisk, signing off. And keep your chins up and your fedoras on. <laughs>